Hey, everybody, before we get into this next podcast, uh, I was a dumbass and I forgot to do the ad reads. So we're going to do it now real quick. Uh, we've got eberlystock.com. So any kind of bag solution that you possibly need, whether it's military hunting, um, a tech apparel or anything like that, like they've got you covered. Definitely go check them out. Uh, the promo code, though, if you're looking for a 10% discount, which why wouldn't you want a 10% discount? Of course. I mean, I like discounts. Um, but it is O R Oscar Romeo one zero. Um, and then that'll get you that discount. And then, uh, Trent, we got something else too, right? Well, I just want to say like the, uh, the, the, the hoodies and like stuff like that, the apparel over at Everly stock, they really put a lot into it and their gloves and everything else like that. So it's not just bags anymore. It's everything that you could possibly need. And speaking of everything you could possibly need, if you're looking to get into the pipeline, you're looking to train like, uh, like, uh, operator peaches over here. <laughs> Where you go, you go to attacklead.com. They got everything that you need uh, to to start your your training journey the right way. Yeah, I think that should I, be their motto: start your training journey. The right start way. your training journey. You're yeah. you're welcome, guys. I got crystals and stuff in here. That's everything's a journey when you got crystals, and you guys will understand why we had to do this afterwards. But when, once you watch the podcast, because it's it's ridiculous good for sure. So definitely, uh, you know, check out attacklead.com, and then uh, but yeah, that. I, I always love talking to him. It's fantastic. I yep. like, like is he the said, code ones ready for attack. Lead? I'm sorry. Oh yeah, it is. It is ones ready for attack. Lead. I'm sorry. I've just started reflecting on, uh, <laughs> on talking to Colonel Buller. So like I said, it, it's always good. And now yep. Trent's so motivated. He's going to go out and crush all his coworkers. I'm so motivated. It's coming, right. coming for you. Wink. He's coming for you. Hope you all enjoy the podcast. Later. Hey everybody, welcome back to the team room. You are with the Ones Ready crew, Trent and I, and then we have a special guest, somebody that I've known for, damn sir, a really long time now at this point, I think 2001, 2002. So we have retired, I know, no kidding, retired Colonel Kurt Buller. So appreciate you joining us, sir. Yeah, thanks, Peaches. Trent, thanks for having me, guys. Welcome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'll just say it. You have a you have a pretty colorful career, um, and and I definitely don't want to stop step off on a on a bad note already. But we'll we'll follow it. But I do want to say from a, a fellow Oompa Loompa, you know, short people problems. Um, you look pretty tall in that office right now, but I think we know the truth. You and I are battling for the shortest CCT ever. Um, so I think I still have you beat, but we'll go on uh, from there. So, sir, if you don't mind giving us a little background about yourself, where you came from, and, w and how you found CCT. Yeah, you bet, man. So thanks for the intro. First off, my scouting report does say six two two twenty, but it is a bit of an exaggeration, man. It is what it is. Before I tell you about my background, I'd like to tell you guys a quick story about your namesake. One's ready, if you don't mind, okay? And uh, and you might, and someone might have already told a similar story. And if it is, man, I apologize. But uh, so I'm back at Indoc. It's 1991. I'm in my first class. I mean, we can have a conversation about why it took me two classes, but it had something to do with my scouting report and the inability to swim 4,000 meters in, in 80 minutes, right? But uh, so uh, we're doing underwaters and, you know, for, you know, those that aren't familiar with the community, we do 25 meter, you push off and you go underwater for 25 meters and then you swim back on the surface for 25 meters. And then it just depends on where you're at in the, in the process for what your interval is. I think you start at two minutes interval every two minutes they say go and you get down to a minute and a half is what i think the standard is and 
by the time you graduate, you're doing a minute and a half and it's like up in the twenties. And honestly, a lot of guys, they, that's their favorite part of the session because they're really good at moving water, moving water, the peaches, you and I, we don't move quite as much water. So it was always a struggle for me. So I'm always holding on and trying to recover on the way back. Cause once I get to the wall, man, there, you know, it's warned. Are you right again? Right. But anyway, so it's early in the process, probably week one, week two, Mike Maltz, rest in peace. He was my proctor. We lost him in a helicopter crash in Jacobabad, Pakistan in a 2002 with a PJ that I didn't know Jason Plight, but I knew Mike well. Um, and we're doing, we're, we're probably a weekend and I don't know what the number was. It was 10 or 12. It was pretty low, you know, and it was doable, but we're all holding on and we finish, we get to the wall and we all yell tens and Maltz goes ones or And everybody, you know, we're all like, Whoa, we're done. And I hear this young, this, this voice down the wall that goes, but Sergeant, that was number 10. And he just, you know, Maltz just sits there and he goes, go. And he just looks at us. And we all realize, oh, man, we're not done yet, right? So I get down there. I push off the wall. And, man, I'm telling you, the strangest thing happened. Dudes that were making it without any issue were popping. You know I mean? I'm sitting there, and I'm just stroking, and I'm, I'm trying to get back into the groove. I'm trying to get back into it. And I'm looking around, and guys that were money in the water are popping early. And we get back, and everyone's thinking it's a mistake. Ones, read it. Go. And, man, we just kept going, and we probably went for 30 minutes. And some of the best, strongest guys in the pool popped. And I, I share that with you right away. One, it's your namesake. One's ready. Two's ready. Three's ready. Depending on how many folks are in the pool. Unfortunately, it whittles down to one or twos as we get smaller and smaller. But that's because the ones don't learn the lesson. The, the, the ones that can't learn the lesson that is this right here, that it's not over until it's over. Like they think it's supposed to be fair. They think, hey, man, Sergeant Mulch says we're going to do 10 today or we're going to do 22. It's not fair that we did 23 or 24. And uh, and I think that's that's clearly one of the things that 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 our pro, that our pipeline is there to teach us is that it's not over until it's over. And then you transition that downrange. And I've seen it with general purpose forces as we come off target. Us, you know, our special operations, and regardless of the community, because they all get us ready. Man, as soon as we load up, man, we are resetting our gear. If, you know, if our rock got a little sideways, whatever it is, we are resetting. And quite honestly, some some of the lesser experienced, maybe general purpose forces, you know, our, 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 our soldiers that are out there that are providing security for us, they're high-fiving and they're settling back thinking that they're done for the night. And um, we know we're not done in, in, until we're done. And quite honestly, even when we get back to the FOB, man, we're resetting gear. We're, we're, we're cleaning our gear. We're cleaning our rifles. We're, man, we're restoking batteries. For us JTACs, we're updating our logs and turning in our sit reps. And then we go get chow. And then maybe it's over after the hot wash, you know, then maybe we get an opportunity to reset. But, uh, but by the time we lay down and do, you know, hygiene and rest, you know, as a priority of work, we're ready to, for our number to be called again. That's where I've, we learned that early in NDOC, uh, and, and I've translated it off, you know, off the, out of the pool is in a, in a lot of different ways. So I, I get to coach Russell quite a bit now. And, and I, I and the wrestlers all that they're looking for a fair deal. And I tell them the only thing fair in the sport is the weigh-in, and that's only if you're using the same scale. And after that, man, you got to take it as it comes. And, and I understand the idea that things are supposed to be fair, but uh, man, no one promised us a fair deal. What they promised us at Indoc, of course, is the weigh and measure us and give us a shot to see if we're worthy to be able to transition to the teams and, and go downrange and, and fight for and, you know fight on behalf of our country, our teammates, and our beliefs. So anyway, when I hear when I saw your ones ready podcast, that's a story that jumps into my mind i use it on occasion to try to teach some of our you know our our, our younger men and women that 
hey man, don't ever tap out, man. Like you always, you always got to be in the game. So anyway, thanks for letting Funny, me open. We, we've been, we've been doing this. We've been doing this for uh, almost three years, actually three years now. And that's probably the best articulation of, of mental preparedness and be ready for anything. And don't, you know, life is not fair. Yeah. Kind of thing like that. That is the best articulation. It's, it's the it's, willingness, right? Yeah. That's what you search for in those moments when you like you run past the gym or you just keep going. I want to see who's willing to keep going. Yeah. You know, when I when I say go, like who are the guys that just go that just realize that no matter what, I'm gonna do yeah, it. So, that's right, Trent. And really, I, mean, I, I think one of my greatest strengths is my is the lack of size. You know, Jared, because things were never it was never easy. You know, what I mean, so, and no. I was, I'm always I'm always been a bubble guy in this business, especially because everything's heavy. You know, what I mean, they don't make smaller radios for smaller dudes, right? And um, so, because of that, man, you just can't afford to mentally check out. Like, if men, if for all of us, our mental capabilities are strongest asset, and that doesn't matter what size you got. So, you got to make sure you're always using that. That, and of course, the will, the heart, and, and then that all comes in all kinds of sizes as well. Um, so, anyway, thanks for letting me open up with that. You had asked a little bit about my background. I grew up in Virginia. My old man is retired chief mass sergeant. He and my mom are both buried in Arlington national cemetery uh and then you know and then i've got two big brothers and a, and a sister and they've all served in different capacities you know where the siblings were all real close i uh i was able to i went to the air force academy i went i went there to wrestle uh probably admittedly i was a better high school wrestler than a college wrestler but you know i did the best i could on the mat and grinded it off and you know at the time all you want to do is win on the mat but as you get a little bit older and you get more reps you really learn the big matches are off the mat and the things that i learned in such a difficult sport really transit transitioned into victories off the mat and i'm certainly grateful for that and uh and i enjoy watching the academy wrestling team right now in fact one of my son's best friends is wrestling there as a freshman and coach barber and his entire coaching staff i'm good friends with i get to go back every every summer to help out with their wrestling camp not because of my wrestling skills on the mat but really just the opportunity to work with the wrestlers off the mat every night and talk to them about core values and some of the things that we've learned just through you know th through our experiences uh, but anyway, uh, I think probably what's interesting when you talk about our, our height challenges is my senior year, I was planning on going to pilot training. I had a waiver for my standing height. Uh, and then my senior year is in 1991. They had too many pilots. It was a bathtub. And uh, they were banking so many pilots that they went back and reassessed all the waivers. And uh, all the guys too big for the cockpit, which is really your football players, had a strong lobby. So they all got their waivers and all the girls that were too small a male gymnast and myself our, our lobby group just wasn't just wasn't quite as strong and and we lost our waiver so there i am second semester senior year and a uh, job career has already come and gone there's only a few afscs left and i this whole time and i was grinding i thought i was i thought i knew where i was going to go and uh somebody had told me about combat control and we had knew like it wasn't clearly as advertised as it was now we had known about the red berets on occasion you see somebody but it's not like you could go on and get a podcast or a Facebook or anything like that, man. You just didn't know that much about it. In fact, I somewhere around here, I still got the old black and white pamphlet that somebody gave me. He's like, man, why don't you look into this? And um, much like the current process now, I think I've, I've put together a phase one package and, and submitted it and got invited out a month later. In fact, it was during my, uh, my spring break, my senior year, I went out to Pope Air Force Base, tried out and was selected. And when I graduated uh, the Air Force Academy, I went, went right into the pipeline and and I guess the rest is history. So, you know, my faith tells me God's got a plan for us, but it, whether you're faith based or not, man, when one door closes, you just got to keep your head up and keep driving forward and look for other doors to open. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think this was God's plan for me all along, but again, not to proselytize, regardless of faith, 
when something's not there for you, man, you just keep grinding out, and I think good things happen for you. Well, I mean, when, when you saw, sir, those those, those red berets and the, the pamphlet, what was it about it that, that got you? Uh, it was limited limited knowledge and yeah. data. So, like, what what were you trying to accomplish? Like, what were your expectations? Because it was it was a different game back then with the how much you actually yeah. knew before you stepped through that door and like you know started you know putting yourself yeah, out there for it. That's a great question, Trent. So my but my my freshman year, we actually had an enlisted CCT come in and, and as a, as part of the dually class. His name was Max Johnson. I ended up bumping into him again down at the two three. He didn't make it through his freshman year, but I remember like our first warrior day or whatever day it was in the academic year, and we're all back in. They were the olive drab BDU, so not even the, the camouflage, but it was just an olive drab. And, that, and we're all walking, and we got this tuck, and, and you have to walk kind of this certain way at the academy. you got to follow these certain lines when you're a smack, and, and you, you know, you got you got everybody that goes by, you got to report in. Anyway, I'm, I'm hustling to school, and I fall in right behind Max Johnson, like right behind Cadet 4th Class Johnson. I didn't know him, but everybody knew of him because he was a really big dude. And on Warrior Day, I guess he decided he was going to wear his brace. And, I, and no one was going to tell him otherwise. And I remember I tucked right in on his wake. I was in the shadow, just a monster of a, of a young man, right? And nobody messed with us, man. Like, I just blew right on his coattails. And I just remember seeing the back of the brain, like, man, that is a badass, you know? And at the time, we had heard a little bit about CCT, but we just knew it was cool. We certainly didn't know everything I knew about it then. And uh, and unfortunately, Max uh, didn't make it. And I bumped into him back down at, uh, at Herbert Field years later. But it, so it started off with just kind of this aura of this thing that's really cool. Um, and then really, I didn't think much about it during my time there because I thought I was going to go fly, fight and win. Right. And then when that when everything came crashing right. down, that's when somebody brought it back to me. And when I looked at the pamphlet, it man, it seemed like right up my, my alley of, you know, being on the ground and jumping out of airplanes. Little did you know that the ruck is always heavy. The water is always cold. The jumps were always at night. Like that stuff doesn't make the pamphlet. But, uh, but quite honestly, those those are the good missions. You know what I mean? When we go, you know, scuba diving down at St. Croix to look at bugs, that's fun. But it's not the stuff that I remember. You know, it's the hard ones that I remember going through with guys like you. So, yeah, Trent, that, you know, that's it. Yeah. It's always, always the type two fun is the, the yeah, lasting memories right. is the, yeah, the good okay. stuff. So so when you when you went to phase two and, and, and somewhat during Indoc as well, you know, er, one of the big uh, the things that people talk about now is their why. Everybody's like, you have to have yeah. this huge why. Now, personally, I never had like a single thing that got me through every situation, you know, like I had situational wise and, 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 and motivations. Uh, but what were some of those things for you that got you through, you know, those, those, those hard yeah, moments in training? I, I think it was, I think it was my ego and the desire to not fail. Cause at that time I really didn't even know what I was trying to get into. I just knew I, I thought it was badass. Um, and the, the cadre all walking around seemed like the types of guys that I would like to spend time with. And I bring up ego because oftentimes ego is the enemy, right? Like you gotta, you want to check it at the door. But I, I think God gifted, gave me, made us in his image. And man, I think he gave us an ego. And then the real dilemma is when do you use it and when do you put it in check? And, uh, you know, once I showed up, clearly when you look around the room, I didn't look like everybody else. I, you know, we make this mistake of, going around the room, you're like, he's going to make it. He doesn't stand a chance. He's going to make it. He doesn't stand a chance. And, and guys are looking at me like, there's no way that little guy's going to make it, right? Um, so really, just as I started getting into it, it just came to this idea, like, man, I don't want to fail. I, I liked the physical nature of it, and I just didn't want to fail. So I did everything I could to try not to. Quitting wasn't an option. And I, I'd like to talk about quitting with you guys here in a second. I got another story from Indoc about somebody that did that did quit. But uh, I did I did wash out on my first class and it was devastating. 
Uh, and I, it was the, it was eighth week and it was 4,000 meter thin swim and I missed it by 61 seconds. Uh, but quite honestly, man, I was just, I was just holding on by a thread in all of the water events, but land events were solid for me and talk about suppressing your ego. I, I had to start backing off on the land events just to save my energy for the fins and, and some of the other things, you know, where I'd like to go crush the run and my ego would get in the way and show everybody that I thought I was one of the fastest. I had to settle into a pace that allowed me to, to, to meet standards so that I could try to meet standards in the water. And man, I share that with you. Cause it's not a, it's not a fun thing to say that all you're trying to do is meet standards. Like guys like us try to crush the standard. We try to be the standard, but that's what maturity gets you and reps get you. You realize the game's a lot harder than, than, than what you might've thought when you were younger. And um, you really, you want to, you want to stay in the game. And then there's times when, when you really gotta, you, you gotta increase it. And I, sh- I say that sheepishly because man, I'd otherwise, I tell all the young men and women that are thinking about getting ready for this, man, you got to go after 110% on everything. And I think you got to do that in training. And then when you get there, you got to listen to your instructors that really care about you. Cause they're the ones that are like, Hey, uh, Buller, Butler, they call me Butler. Hey, Butler, man, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure coming in first place in the run does anything for your fin. And uh, really, they weren't telling me to back off, but they were they were trying to wisen me up a bit, you know. Um, so anyway, Trent, man, I think uh, it's just this desire to not fail. And, and then it's just such a beautiful dilemma yeah. when everything drives you. If you turn anything into a if you turn everything into a competition because your ego, you become a real pain in the ass, too. Like no one wants to be around you. Like there's times you get after it and there's times to, to be side by side, you know, what I mean, and, and look after your brothers and, and your sisters. So uh, I think that's kind of what motivated me. But since I opened the door on a, on on this idea, Quentin, you mind if I talk about it? Because I know that a large, some of your demographic or folks are getting ready. Because I think it is an interesting question. What's that? About it too, sir. They are very, they yeah, are very yeah, concerned and, about and they quit, should be, man. It's hard, and you know, quit. When we say quit, man, it's a pejorative word. But you know, I mean, if, if we're going to talk about quit smoking, you know, what I mean, like then it's a good thing. So then it comes down to this. Really interesting dilemma. Is it okay to quit? Well, let me tell you about Sefton, okay? And Sefton's his real name. I, and it was A1C Sefton. I even tried to track him down when I was retiring. I, you know, there was about 15 or 20 Seftons on the global. And I wrote him notes because I really, man, he was just a neat guy. And I always wondered what kind of happened to him, kind of partly because of this story, right? As you, as you get near the end of your career, you start to reflect on things at the beginning. Like you get a little bit more reflective, right? So I sent out a bunch of notes. I got some back. No, not me, not me. But I don't know whatever happened to Sefton. But when I showed up for my first team, Sefton was the CQ. He was the guy kind of running the desk. And he was in casual status because he had tweaked his wrist a couple classes before, right? And you walk in and Sefton, if you went around the room and tried to pick who was going to make it, man, Sefton's a dude you pick. You know, he was, was a linebacker in high school, New Yorker. So he had that cool forget about it accent. Man, good-looking guy, comfortable. He's like, hey, follow me, LT. I got you. Um, you, know, you know, like if we ever went down Cadre Hall, you know, we'd get dropped, right, for an hour. Sefton would walk out of Cadre Hall like, hey, man, yeah. did you know that Monk's wife made cookies last night, right? Um, you guys want some? Like, even the Cadre <laughs> likes Sefton. And, you know, uh, and the Cadre, they didn't like anybody, but they, even they like Sefton. Man, I loved him, man. He's just a really neat guy. Well, I think it's week three, week four. The numbers have attrited down. You know, the class has been cut in half. You know, the, out of the first 80, probably half of them probably shouldn't have been there. We're, you know, we're three or four weeks in. So at least the last 40 or so are athletic. You know what I mean? Like, they, we all got a fighting chance at this point, right? And then the process is completely different, guys. So don't worry about the numbers now. Like, when you show up, you are far more prepared than when we showed up. Like, some folks didn't know what they were getting into. You guys do. So just keep doing what you're doing. And, I mean, you got a chance, right? So anyway, we're – 
It's Monday eval day. I just got finished doing my push-ups, and I'm looking down the line, and I'm seeing how everybody else is doing, and Sefton's on his knees, and he's kind of grabbing his wrist and some of the cadre around, and there's concern on his face. And You know, I understand he probably tweaked his wrist again. It was the wrist that we were worried about, right? So after uh, after uh, PT or after the cows, we all get back together. I'm like, man, what's going on? He says, man, I think I'm screwed. I uh, tweaked my wrist. And Captain Savino was our team leader now, Colonel Retired Savino VS. We're like, hey, man, be cool. They're going to give you a couple of days. They'll tape it up. He's like, hey, I'm good, man. I got it. You're right. Well, that night, Sefton quit. And if you quit in the middle of the night, man, I guess you fill out the form. You put it in the team leader's door. And, man, I guess you go to the CQ desk and they call the base taxi and they come pick you up and they reclassify. And, man, I guess that's what happened. I don't know. I never quit, right? But uh, that morning, we do. I open up the door because I'm VS's roommate. I, I pull out the form and there's one. I'm like, man, hey, man. Sefton quit, and I remember VS was like, what? I'm like, yeah, he quit. I'm like, well, we didn't see that coming, right? So anyway, we press on. We do roll call that morning. There's a murmur amongst the group because, you know, when Sefton wasn't there, you got to announce it. And I'm telling you guys, and because you guys understand what happens there, that day we lost 20 guys. Like, we lost 20 guys in 12 oh, yeah, to yep. 14 yep. hours, you know, 15 hours of training day. And, uh, and those that haven't been there are like, well, why would that happen? Was it just a really hard day? Yeah, of course it was hard. It was slightly harder than the day before. They graduated slightly harder. But in their mind, it was like, man, if Sefton can't make it, I can't make it, right? And, um, man, I think Sefton's a great guy. and I wish I could have found out. But, man, screw Sefton, right? Like, Sefton doesn't get to choose my worth. And it took me because I was kind of like, man, seriously, Sefton's yeah. not going to make it. And, man, I'm just still barely holding on, right? Um but I just want to make sure that your audience, the ones that whether they're going to go and go for it or they're going for other things in their life, man, don't let Sefton decide your worth or don't let your peers decide your worth. And even at it, even at the, at the pipeline, the cadre got go, no go authority, but they still don't get to decide your worth. Like you get to decide your worth. Right. And, and, and I share that even with my own colleagues, because we all got our insecurities, right? Peaches, I've been, I've been short since the day I was born, man. My earliest memory in kindergarten was being made fun of, right? So we've all got flanks exposed. Then the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to let it own you? Or are you going to, are you going to, you know, use it for good? Use it as an opportunity to grow. And, um, and that's, you know, that, that's, so I, this idea of quitting is important because when I talk to folks, I was like, well, is there, what, what if it wasn't for Sefton? And I, and cause I think that's a really great question. Like maybe, and that's why I wanted to ask Sefton, like, man, why'd you do it? And didn't work out for you, you know, because you could say, well, he just transitioned into another job in the Air Force and he went and did great things. And that might be the case. But I would share with those that are going through that experience that if you decide to transition, one, don't do it in the moment. Make sure you're talking to your teammates because the moment never lasts. The memory does. The moment never lasts. But I'd also if I could have coached Seth to knowing what I know now, I'd have told him to finish in doc and then and then not graduate. Like take it to the very end just to prove to himself that he could have made it and then transition into something else. And I imagine there's cadre out there cringing because they're like, man, we got limited training resources. Man, I ain't worried about your limited training resources. Air Force. I'm worried about the health and welfare of the men and women that we love. And, and I guess I would just uh, not in the moment, man. Don't quit in the moment. And if at some point you decide you need to transition, man, finish your task first and then transition. And I just think that would have been a different story altogether. Um, I just wanted to share that with you guys. Yeah, you. No, no, you're you're 100 right. And there's there's two things in that. And if I happen to remember both of them, I'll, I'll hit them. But right now, um, I I do often wonder with some of those folks that I went through with that quit. You know, um, 
and I already know some of them are, are extremely sure. successful. Like, you know, there's a lieutenant, uh, I think he re- retired as a full bird or at least the lieutenant colonel Costal. You know, I, I went through indoc with him and, and he ended up quitting and he was one of my go-to and, and, at least as a young guy, because I, I went through when I was 17 and then I had my birthday, you know, while at NDOC and stuff like that. And so I'm young, I'm impressionable. I'm in a whole world that I have no idea what I'm doing um, because I don't have the information or also it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm surrounded by these by these giant, these yeah. Adonis looking people that there's no way in hell that they would quit. Um, yet they do. And some of them are successful. Some of them aren't. And then you know, yeah, you want to know what goes through their head and do they, do they actually think about that? Yeah. You know, not, maybe not every single day, but do they regret that decision? And I, and I think they do. Um, and I've, I've met a lot of people like they don't necessarily say, you know, I, I, you know, I really regret it. Everything Mm -hmm. since then has been terrible. I don't think it's like that. It's like that, that's still like, man, in a moment of weakness or now that I have clarity, man, I really should have just, hung in there it wasn't really that bad and that's what's wild about it, is when you think about everything that we've done whether it's in the pipeline operational because the coldest i've ever been has yeah. for sure been operationally not yeah. in training i've been cold in training operationally is yeah you know that's a whole nother game and it's just like at the on the once you're on the other side of that it's never as bad as it was when you're going through it at, at least in my opinion and and before I forget and go into your other points are about comparing yourself to other people. Sure. I mean, I, I was, I was guilty of that too. And it's almost as a, especially as a young person, you almost can't help it, but you got to understand when, when your septums uh, quit or, or, or anybody else next to you, your buddy yeah, quits right. and they're going to quit. Like the, mm-hmm. like the, the number, you know, when you start with 120, 140 people, you're going to make yeah. friends and they're going to quit. You cannot let them determine what you do or whether or not you can make it because you know we we've all said it before and and i'm sure you've said it too sir the 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 pipeline is 20 or uh, uh i'm sorry the physicality yeah, sure. versus yeah. mental you know it's 80 yeah. percent mental 20 percent physical so it, that's just a reality of it. Yeah. you've got to be yeah, strong sure. mind to get through so well i wonder does did sefton see himself the way yeah. that you saw him you know, because we, we talked to Trey Free a while back and we talked about that moment when you get yeah. you first get that feedback from an outside source where they're like, bro, like you're really good at this. Yeah. Like you need to like step up in these situations. And it never even occurred to you that like you were viewed that way. Like, do you think that he even knew that he was viewed as like the guy yeah, on the team and, and what kind of influence you'd have? You said Trey Free because, man, Devil D, man, he's a great friend and great warrior, <laughs> a great mentor of mine, a hero great of mine, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know about Sefton, but the question applies, and that's why it's important that we got folks that, that we let in. And you got to be vulnerable to your teammates so that we can have these in, these personal conversations. I think a lot of folks going, whether they're starting the pipeline or they're in it right now, they think that they're supposed to walk around with muscles between their fingers and get the sleeve tattoo as fast as possible because they watch the folks, you know, that, that, have, that are successful and, and they think that's how they're supposed to be. And quite honestly, the ones that do really well in this business that last are the ones that, that say when they're nervous or when they're scared so that they can let a little bit of pressure off. Or even when we think about the grief that we experience, man, I can hold it all by myself and my demons can eat me up or I can visit it on my terms and I can talk about my grief and or my hopes and my fears. And when I give it to you, 
man, I'm giving you just, I'm giving you part of it, but if for whatever reason, it's not heavy for you and it lightens my ruck. And, uh, and Trent, whether Sefton knew that he was that person or not, I don't, he, he suffered in silence because I sure wish he would have knocked on Vinny's door and my door in the middle of the night and go, Hey man, you guys got a second to talk because I'm, man, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with demons right now. And, um, man, no one fights alone. You know what I mean? Despite what the movies look like in this business, no one goes on the X alone. We don't make it through the pipeline alone. Um, and fight, in fact, quite honestly, if, if a person's ego swells because the attrition number goes up and less guys made it, that means they weren't necessarily the teammate that we needed them to be as well. Because where we should swell is where, when we look around, folks are to our left or right. If they're, if they need to break water for you, like I, man, it, man, I, I should get behind somebody and let them break water. Man, I got to swallow my pride and do that. If I'm the strongest one at the time, then man, they should be in my wake. But the more we can get through this, the better, you know, and cause selfishly, we, we need as much combat power as we can because the adversary is going to keep generating numbers as well, you know. So that's why in this business, whether you're in high school or you're in, you know, you're at the age where you're trying this stuff or, or you're in corporate, man, I don't want you to have to stuff alone, but to do that, you got to go first. You got to show each other that we're vulnerable so that, man, someone can step inside and tell you the things you, you need to hear, even though you don't want to hear it. Or when you got some hopes and fears that you need to talk about, that like you already have a relationship established so you can go talk about it. When the storms blow or the demons come knocking on the door, that's not the time to realize you need a friend. And uh, perhaps if Sefton had a, maybe a few more friends on the team or or had the co- confidence or courage to knock on our door, then who knows, he might be hosting one Dreddy right now. Uh, I do hope and pray that he's had a beautiful, brilliant life. And, uh, <laughs> and, there's, and like you said, Peaches, man, they have every opportunity to go do that just because you said the words once doesn't make you a quitter you know what i mean you can get back on your base get back established and and you can make up for that so hopefully folks out there that are watching this if they've said the words before and they regret it man don't let it eat you up you know what i mean just re- recover own it and then uh, and then learn from it and, and, and move back out again cool. oh uh, yeah absolutely and, and no and and you doing that for sure does not define you yeah. or the rest of your life or anything like that. That's, that is not yeah, what I'm, I'm saying in the slightest. Well, also in the, um, in, for some of the guys that are weaker so, in the water, let me just give you a heads up of what's going to happen. The Codger are going to go, Hey, all we need is one quitter and everybody <laughs> goes to Taco Bell or Burger King or whatever the fast food restaurant of the day is. First off, don't believe them because in the history of the pipeline, I don't think that's ever occurred. But what they're trying to do is, man, like one, one quarter. And I remember this one day we're out at uh, the Warhawk pool because Skylark was broken. So it's outdoor. It's December. We're, we're just freezing. And we're all over there treading water waiting to go do our, uh, our mask and snorkel. And there's eight of us. And it's mulch, I think. And he's walking up and down. And he's like, all we need is one quarter, one quarter. And everybody's out of the pool. And I'm sitting there trying to get right. And I look around. And I see seven dudes looking at me like, hey, BL, man, if, you, if you're going to quit. If you're going to, we don't want you to, but if you're going to, this be a pretty good time to do it. We might get something out of it. And I'm like, hey, man, you got to stop looking at me, man. I'm getting ready for masking the snorkels. So, so I say that jokingly, but at the same point, those are the same seven guys. Because I don't know what the standard is now, but at the time it was 30 meters with a 720 on the wall. You know, you go 25 meters, touch the wall twice, come back and clear your mask, which is a long time for my little ass to be underwater moving, you know. And it always got tough, but the, the cadre got to where I, they always, I always went last and they would always make it sound like, Hey, that's so that we can scare the LT. What they were trying to do is give me as much recovery time as possible, which I appreciate, you know? And then, but when I'm down there in the wall, the other seven guys would all be done and they would be, there would be faces in the water with their snorkels. 
once I come off the wall, they would start yelling into their snorkel. And I could, I, you know, you could just hear the sound being carried through the water. And it was your teammates. Like, hey, you ain't alone, man. You got this. You got this. And uh, it's really cool, man. It was really cool that um, and all eight of us graduated. But I just wanted to show jokingly. They were like, hey, if you're going to quit, now is a good time. But also, they, they were some of my biggest supporters. And there they are cheering. Cool, yeah. so, anyway, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's now the. I, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it's tough to quantify and articulate the that brotherhood, that team. You know, being a good teammate and be like something like that. That sounds probably to somebody else who hasn't been in that situation. Like that is yeah. just silly. Like, why would that get you going? Why? Why does that comfort you? Uh, yeah. Like, what? I, I don't understand it, but. Having been in a situation like that, you know, in a pool session, and sometimes yeah. it's just something that's silly or something little like that, that, yeah. that it, it can just get you going. And also understanding that like your teammates care about you and believe it or not, and you said this a little while ago um, that I wanted to pull the thread on a little bit, but yeah. Cadre actually do care, like regardless of what you think or what they say to you, they're, they have a job and they're doing it for yeah. a reason and they actually care about you and your performance and how and the outcome of yeah. you know whether yeah. you graduate so me, or you quit. Let me, uh, go ahead, Trent. I'm sorry. You're the uh, just say you're destroying my whole <laughs> yeah. reputation by yeah, telling yeah, yeah. me what I, I care about them. That, that, that's hurtful. First, uh, the first one is just this idea of, of teammates and Please. you know when you crack a smile or you wink at each other when you're getting your ass handed to you. You know what I mean or uh, you know who you are, Sergeant. Whatever it is, man, it just means you're not suffering alone. But on the operational side, the real side of it, man, I, and, and this is just one area, but being underneath the ship in the dark of the night is one of the loneliest, spookiest places in the world, especially when you come in and open water and there is there is some ambient light and then you see the shadow coming and then you got to find the ship and you got to find the keel. And it's just a it's just a spooky place. Like I've always said, if the, if the boogeyman lives, it's underneath the keels of ships or underneath some of those piers that we got to move around, right? It's just dark and it's just spooky, but it, it is the coolest thing to just feel the tug of your buddy because you're you're always you're always attached to somebody down there. There's different team techniques, but nobody is ever unattached. Whether you're you know, on a Budweiser or whether you're on a pole or whether you're actually tethered to just your own swim buddy, it is just as comforting as can be to just feel his tug or to just follow the line and go over there and put your hand on the back of him. You know, what I mean, just as you know, and it is just a it is just a comfort. You know, some of the toughest guys and men and women in the world, just that little comfort, like, hey, man, here, I'm, I'm right here. You give a squeeze as you communicate to each other. Um, it's just really special. You know what I mean? And in those moments, nothing else matters at that time. The, like I said, the water is always cold. The rock's always heavy. But when you just feel that, man, it's just like nothing else matters. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. But if I could talk about the cadre, and I'll, I'll share with you, man. And again, I'll suppress my ego. Um, I don't, so my second team, I go all the way through again and I get to the 4,000 meter fence swim after I ran the six miles and I failed again. Like I failed it by about a minute again. So it looked like I was right on glide slope to do exactly what I did the last class, man. I wasn't, I wasn't moving any faster. You know what I mean? These little, these little legs putting, you know, pushing the, the jet fins or the rocket fins, whatever we had, they weren't getting any faster. Right. So then the, a week later, but this was the first, so because I failed the 3,500 and the 4,000 on the first class, that was it. You have to fail the eval twice. This time I passed 3,500. Uh, I failed 4,000. So I got to another shot at 4,000, but I didn't have to run the six miles. So in my mind, 
man, there's a chance, right? There, there, there's a chance. But, and this is why I wanted to get to Trent as Cadre and Peaches is that when, so the team went to go do the dive chamber that day and I stayed behind as they're doing dive physics. Uh, they went to go do chamber work. It wasn't dive chambers, the altitude chamber. Uh, and I stayed back to, cause I was, I had, they gave me a few days to recover and I had to take the test again. So I show up at the Skylark all by myself, man, I'm sitting there rocking a little speedo. That's a site that, man, you don't want to think through, right? But as, you know, as little drag as possible, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm just in the water ready to go, waiting for the cadre to show up. And Mark Eichmann showed up uh, at the time, Master Sergeant Eichmann, later on, uh, Captain Eichmann. Um, he showed up and he was our commandant. And I remember thinking like, he doesn't normally come to pool sessions. He's the commandant. Like we don't see him very often, right? And he shows up by himself to count my laps and I go, Hey, Sergeant, can you give me the, you know, the, when we swim laps, you kind of give us one, two, you, every 10 laps, you get down there and tell the cone head where they're at. Right. So I take off and I'm going for a while and, after, and underwater, it's the strangest thing, man. It could be 30 seconds or 30 minutes. It's just a strange phenomenon. Right. And after a while, and you don't keep count yourself cause you'll, you'll go mad if you try to count your own laps, right. You just want to get lost in the suffering. Right. Yeah. And after a while, I'm like, I either haven't done 10 or, Massar's not going to get on his hands and knees and tell the cone what number we're on, right? And every time I turn around, every now and then I go get a glance at him, and he's like reading the Reader's Digest. He like literally showed up with a little Reader's Digest, and then at the end he pats me <laughs> on the head and he's like, "All right, LT, you're done." And he starts walking out, and I'm like, "Hey, Massar, like, did I make it? Because this is all I needed to do to graduate in doc, right?" And he goes, "Yeah, you made LT, good job." And he just walks out, and I remember thinking like, "I don't think that son of a bitch counted a lap," and and I share that with you. Because you can imagine now that we've been in team rooms or we've been in planning sessions or we've been in some of the most important whiteboard sessions in the world before we go and invade, you know, go do raids. And you just know how everybody gets input. And I just wish that I could have found out what that what that team meeting was like at Indoc. Because there's guys out there like, hey, man, standard is standard. Standard 80 laps. And LT either makes it or he doesn't. And then, you know, there's the group like, hey, man, it's less than a minute. It's less than a minute, and they think I have potential, whether they were right or not. I don't know, but um, and it just would have been really interesting to hear that conversation. And then in this instance, I think the mass sergeant, who was a leader, goes, "Hey, man, I got it. Like we're done talking about it. We don't take votes. We fight for a democracy, but leadership's not a democracy." And I think he went over there, and I, I share that with you because I think he saved a lap for me. I think I did seventy-nine laps, um, or I went as many laps until he finished his story, which might have been sixty-five for all I know, as slow as my as my uh, my little ass is, right? <laughs> I share that with you because I, I spent one, when I talk about my ego, man, I don't think I met standards. I don't think I met standards when it came to swimming. Fortunately, I never had to swim against the Taliban because I think I probably would have beat them, right? But uh, but it wasn't necessarily there. And I always made the swims after that, of course, right? Because the standard is so much higher than what you need to do uh, operationally. That's why, it's, that's why it is the training standard, right? To make sure you're ready for operations. But um, I, I, I never got to ask Mark Eichmann because we lost them before I was able to have that conversation. So I just share with you guys, man, I've been trying to pay that lap back uh, ever since. So anyway, the point was cadre talk about us. They care about us. They have a job to do. They have standards to uphold, but there's the human side, the leadership as well. You know what I mean? And that's why uh, if you're a person of character and you're trying to, you know, you're always putting out and perhaps there's a chance that something's going to break your way. Oh, for sure. And, and, uh, I, I know I look like I'm frozen there or at least on my end, but, uh, the, I had a similar situation where the fight, like I failed the final eval uh, of swimming wow. the 4,000 meter and it was two seconds. Yeah. 
Um, and I had, I know, you know, I'm Tony Alexander. Um, he was the one counting and he goes, and it, and he straight up said, peaches standards a standard. And you missed it by two seconds. Your reval will be on Saturday. And it was just like, okay. And then, so I got a little peek into that conversation sure. because, uh, Blake George now, Colonel Blake George, um, uh, came over and I could, I could somewhat hear them talking about like, Hey man, it's, it's two seconds. Like this guy has been on three indoc teams now, like, and he's at the final eval and it's me and Chan, right? Uh, one other dude, we, we had whittled down from 120, whatever people to me and another guy. And, uh, and he's like, Hey, standard, standard, two seconds. He missed it and he'll reval. So, yeah, I mean that's yeah. it's tough at the time. Now I get it, um, but I get it. And at the same time, you're you're right. It, it is uh, there is a human aspect of it too. That's like you know. But you know, Master Eichmann, he probably however many laps you did, he probably just started yeah. his stopwatch and said, or, or a timer, and at eighty minutes, whether yeah. you're at, yeah. he's getting up and walk away. It's just I wanted to see if you do it or yeah. not. You know, anyway, if, you had, you guys, if you had it in, you'd I mean, give it all. You guys can send, well, Peaches, you can send about 58 <laughs> seconds faster than me. Um, so it, clearly the, the, the bulk of the, the bulk of the community is out of the pool by, by 65 minutes, right? And, and then they get out of our way for the last 15 minutes to see if we can close gaps or not. But man, it is what it is, right? Yeah. 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 That, that yeah. still happens. That still happens with the OFD. Yeah. Anyway, Even now, I am the last person out of the pool. Yeah, but. It's one of those things where the, the more you pour into it, the more you're going to get out of it. And then you'll see that those situations over and over again. I know I've talked about it, but like there are students that will fail an event. And because of the way that that student is and interacts with their teammates and, 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 and how much of themselves they're putting into the training, like they're gone. They're gone that day. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. And then there's, there's other students where like that investment is there and you want to see them succeed. And so I think I always say investment breeds investment. If you want, that kind of relationship with the, the, the cadre and your teammates and all those other things, like they need, they need to see it. So like you, you say like you, you missed a lap or whatever, or someone did you a favor. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, sir, that 99% of the rest of the time when you're not in the pool, yeah. like you're pulling that team along, you're pulling other teammates along. You know what I mean? So like, it, it's not that they made up a, a new standard Thanks, for you. It's man. that you were crushing the standard in all of the places and you're a good teammate. So post in doc. Yeah. Um, what kind of happened yeah, after sure. that? You're a new, a new team guy and everyone wants to know what it's like to be a new team guy. Yeah. So like you show up on team or, or, or if you want to talk about dive and all that other stuff, yeah, but like so what's, what's the rest of the process yes, like yes, as you, uh, you started time. growing I did to yourself my full tour there and I tried out and went, went to the two, four, but then you, you show up at, at the two, three, you get a real team sergeant. You know what I mean? Like a mass sergeant that's been around. And as a Lieutenant, that's, uh, you know, you show up and, and you, you've thought through what it's like to lead an operational team. And when you get there, you realize, man, I've got, commissioned authority but the mass sergeant's got all the juice and again that's why it comes back to this relationship again man like you gotta you gotta develop a relationship for the young officers you gotta develop a relationship with your team sergeant troop you know troop sergeant whatever the term is that you're using out there um and and i hope that it includes a friendship but i think this is a real important message you guys don't have to like each other but you gotta love each other because you're committed to looking after the the airmen and, and and executing the mission so you might as well do the best you can to like each other and try to develop a relationship of friendship. And, and that requires working out together, breaking bread together, spending time in the office together. Um, and you don't got to go bowling together if it's not that type of relationship, but 
uh, the airmen have got to see that you two guys hang out and that you two guys make decisions. And very quickly, because our young officers are so capable, they will assimilate information very quickly. And very quickly, they will have the decision make. They, their their skills will catch up with their authority. Uh, but before it does, of course, man, and even after it does, you got to have a relationship to be able to take advice from the enlisted force and specifically the the team sergeant to get you through it. Um, and my first team sergeant, Daryl Van Landingham Van. Man, he, he's, man, he's just, he, he always, he always put me in a position to try to be successful. He didn't have an ego. He wasn't there trying to run the team and like LT sit in the back. Like he did a really nice job just investing in me and working by with him through me. And we had really good NCOs and really we were cutting our mission or cutting our teeth on airfield seizures, which I don't know if they still do them as often as we did. And I know the platforms may change the way they seize airfields, but for us, for young special tactics operators, it is a great mission to put it all together and to plan and execute comp- complex things. And really, as an officer with the in the Ranger Battalion, you know, you know, briefing and engaging and planning, I just got a lot of reps really early. Uh, Trent, one of the things, and uh, Peach is one of the things that I don't regret doing is I volunteered for Ranger School, and I, I went and graduated on time, 10-93. And besides learning my field craft, because as an officer, I'm not going to get as many reps, you know, at some point or even even on the same team trip. I just not going to get as many reps because there's other things I need to do to make sure that everybody that the training plan stays on on track and and that our our garrison responsibilities are being covered as well. So you got to get the reps while you can. And Ranger School got my field craft up very quickly. But more importantly, it taught me troop leading procedures or or the, the, the planning process. So very early in my process, I got very good at joint language, joint planning, and my field craft was solid. I knew how to wear my kit. Um, and this was before we had a year-long AST, like Venya or STTS. We didn't get as many reps. You come out, you get a couple weeks on what we called green team at the time, and, and then and then you're out doing it. So Ranger School was a qualifier for me to give me some joint credibility and, 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 and some joint skills. And then through the course of the two, three, man, we got after it. And if you don't mind, I'll share another story. Uh, 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 this is probably a year. In fact, when I was at Ranger School was when the Battle of the Black Sea happened, October 93. Uh, and we had heard about how we had lost, you know, how the helicopters went down and, and we had lost Rangers. We had lost really good men. And I remember it was staggering to us being in Ranger School, hearing about it, just not seeing the news, but just the instructors talking about it and filling in the gaps. Well, I get back to my team and I, I job out for a while and it's uh, early 95, and the United Nations had concluded that the, the mission in Mogadishu was a failure. It's called UNISOM-2, United Nations in Somalia, and it's the second evolution of it. And they decided they were going to withdraw forces. And um, and I remember Colonel Buck Melter was my squadron commander, and Captain Pat Barnett was my team leader. And they brought me in, and they're like, hey, man, we think we got a mission because we got to send you know seven dudes over with 5th Special Forces Group you know, in advance of the 13th Marine Expeditionary Unit. And I remember Colonel Bucknock just saying, hey, I think you're ready. And then he goes, Captain Barnett, what do you think? And I knew Pat and Pat's like, hey, hey, sir, he's my he's my assistant. He's my tool I see. And he's definitely ready. Like, I believe in him. And I remember that specifically when I had a commander that trusted me. But I also had a, a, a captain that wanted to go get mission to. And instead of trying to hop the mission, he's like, hey, man, I think the LT is ready. And, and I, I trust him and let's go do it. I just thought that was really uh, it's always been a fond memory of mine that I've shared with BT that I appreciate him vouching on my behalf, but I go over there and I'll, I won't tell all the, you know, I'll, I'll try to shorten the story. I want to just tell you this one day in particular, I was doing air traffic control on a Mogadishu airfield and I was working a couple of uh, CH-53s were about to come in with the Marines as, and we we're going to do a leader's reconnaissance. 
and a firefight broke out right outside the gate. And it was Adid and Ali Mahdi, the two Klansmen. And I had my spotting scope up. I had good deflate. I had high ground. I'm, I'm controlling the, uh, the, the airfield. And, and this firefight broke out. I was a lieutenant. And it was really the first time I'd seen it. And, man, they are, they are just crushing each other. RPGs, you know, crew serves, the technicals, the dishkas. And, and, I, and I throw up my scope. And quite honestly, it is just fascinating to, to see it. You know, I'd always heard about it, but to hear it, to see it, to smell it. Um, and it went on, you know, 30 minutes, which at the yep. time was, a, that's a good clip of a firefight, man, even by today's standard, right? And, um, then I, when it was done, I waved off the 53s. We, <laughs> we acknowledged that the Marines, this probably wasn't the day to do a leader's recon because that was his most, most, most activity we had in Mogadishu in a while. And I go back in as I'm heading back to the fifth group talk. I got to go through the international media camp. And as I go through, I could tell there's kind of a heaviness because usually the international media, man, it's, it's, it's fun, man. There's rock and roll and man, there's, you know, there's men and women and they're doing what they do. Right. It's fun. But I could yeah. just tell there was a heaviness. And I learned shortly after that, that the Italians had sent out a crew because we had Italians as part of our task force. There was an Italian amphib off the coast and they were flying Italian Harriers force during the day. And the, the Italian special operators were our QRF. So we had a relationship with them. Well, they sent a news crew out there and they couldn't find their, their, uh, their, uh, their cameraman. And they had learned later that he was shot and killed and just caught in the crossfire. And the deeds men had, had, had him. So later that night, we get the mission to control the, um, Italian super puma that's going to come in and they're going to repatriate his remains, right? So the next morning, I get out there early and this now I'm all the way at the front gate because in Mogadishu and in a lot of places, they chew them, uh, caught the narcotic that gets everybody high at night. So in the morning, they're all sleeping it off. So there's really, there's just one SF dude in me. There's not, there's not a big threat and I'm down right by the gate. And I got the, the Super Puma coming in on, on good comms. I'm landing him. The vehicle's pulling up to the front gate. Man, I, I can see it like it was yesterday. They get out, man. I, I kind of do a thumbs up, and I point to where the vehicle is to the Italian team leader. And he goes over there with five or six guys. They leave a couple of special operators right around the helicopter just for local security. And as they're doing international hand and arm signals with the deeds guys, um, I, I see him go into the ruck of a teammate, and he pulls out an Italian flag and a staple gun. And he staples the Italian flag to the, to the wooden, you know, to the wooden box. And I watch him kind of lug it back over and load up. I give him, you know, man, thumbs up, air traffic control, man, I get him out of there. And as loud as the helicopter is when you're right next to it, when it takes off, the silence is equally deafening. It's, I'm just sitting there in silence. And I tell you guys that like one, it was my first ramp ceremony. We didn't call it that at the time. And as the war picked up, man, I'd start, we'd unfortunately, become very familiar with that term. But I just wanted to share that with you because he asked me where I went on my first assignment. Trent, I grew up that day. Like up to that point, man, I was having fun. All right. Sorry, sir. Had some uh, technical difficulties, but I definitely wanted to, to have you finish that story because it was, it, was, uh, it was a really good one. So you were talking about uh, how you grew up in Mogadishu. Yeah, you bet, Peaches. So it was talking about just that, the mission where they were repatriating the remains of the Italian journalist and, and and we had just, they, the, the Italians had just loaded his remains up. And at the time, I didn't realize it was my first ramp ceremony and that we would have plenty later on. And I didn't know it then. But as the, heli- the helicopter's right next to us, man, we're used to it being really loud. In fact, as communicators, we're taught how to not let it get you excited so that you don't start shouting because everybody else isn't there and they can hear it fine. So, you know, I'm working my heart rate. I'm keeping it all down. But when it departs, as loud as the helicopter is right there, the silence is equally deafening. And folks that have been around airplanes know that. Like when it leaves, you're like, wow, that was really loud. But then the silence is equally deafening. 
And it was in that moment as I sat there that I grew up. Like I, I professionally grew up that day. And, and it's, and it's an important day in my life. Cause up to that point, man, I was having fun jumping out of airplanes, man. I was doing the things that I wanted to do, but it was at that moment in time that I realized that, that if you have the ability to take lives and save lives, you got to be really good. And it was like that day I set really high standards for myself. Like if this is what I'm going to commit my adult life to, then it's important that I, that we establish high standards and we constantly pursue them. Like I realized that, man, we're going to stumble along the way as we, as we go for it. Right. But Anyway, that was a day that I grew up. Trent, you'd asked me kind of coming out of it, you know, what what was my next assignment like? That was a formative experience for me as a young man. I had really good senior NCOs, NCOs. I had good friends on the team. And, you know, the the as they come out of the pipeline, the officers will wrestle with, hey, what's the difference between a friend and, and a teammate, a colleague, and somebody who I have authority over? And they're going to be just fine with that. Like, you know, service is on their heart. Some guys will manage it a little bit better than others early on. I'm not worried about that. They'll figure as everybody gets into their roles, you know, they'll they'll figure out who does what to who. And and our young men are our young men and women are savvy enough to to manage what some other forces may deal may challenge with fraternization. I think our guys settle into the the authority role really well. But I I, I, I grew up, and then when I grew up, I realized if this is what I am going to go do for a long time, then I want to be really really good at it. Um, and I want to have high expectations of myself and of, and, of, and of others. Before I close it out, though, we talked about catastrophic comm failure. Man, I got to tell you another formative experience from a, one of my instructors at the 24th, Jeff Bray. Um, Jeff, Silver Star recipient from a, um, the Battle of the Black Sea, Black Hawk Down. Rest in peace. Man, I went to his barrel and up, up in Arlington um, a few years back. But he was, he was one of our instructors at OTC and really early in our process, you know, we were going through airfield seizure, the SOP. And it's like, what do you do if you don't make comms? And we thought the question was the priorities of work. Hey, sir, you got to, or you got to clear the runway. Yeah. What do you do if you don't make comms? You got to establish the box, which is kind of our way of no comms. They know, what do you do if you don't make comms? And, you know, you got to have your flare range. Like, what do you do if you don't make comms? And he just kept asking us. And the final like, you make freaking comms, man. And he goes, then what do you do if you don't make comms? And then we realized you make comms. And what do you do if you don't make comms? You make comms, and the point is, as a professional communicator, like you never just, well, shit, shit's not work, or excuse me, stuff's not working today. Like, and your audience didn't see it, but I already had my phone set up on the side as my backup comms that was already linked up. So as soon as this channel went down, man, almost instantly we pop up in the other channel. I say, hey, man, catastrophic comm failure. Do you want to push to this, or do I have time to bring my primary radio back up? You know, um, and I just, you know, just share that one. Jeff Ray's a who's one of the finest operators I ever worked with was a good friend. Um, we lost him way too early, but uh, to our communicators out there, man, if you don't make comms, what are you going to do? You're going to make comms. Make comms. So, anyway, <laughs> over to you guys. Thanks. No, sir. It's, it's great. But like speaking of, of, of uh, high expectations and, and like lasting impact is what I was thinking of. And we were talking about that, that team leader, team sergeant relationship earlier. I know you had, you had authored that little blue book when you were over in uh, uh, at the group. And I, I just have to tell you like that, that word that you use, cause you were talking about the relationship. The word in the book was intimate and it was, I don't want to say it was funny, but like we made jokes about yeah, it inside the team room, but I will never forget that. And like my expectations for, uh, what my team leader and I should be and how we should communicate and how yeah. we should interact is, has always been driven by that. And so I, I just wanted to bring it up while, while you're here is, you know, I think I saw that with you in a SG when he was, was your number one. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and he was one of the scariest people I've ever met in my life, by the way. Uh, but it really shaped that relationship between, like, uh, the first time I went out as a team sergeant with uh, with K Dub. It was 
we, we talked about it all the time and you made a huge impact there with that. Yeah, good. Thanks. First off, a bunch of folks put effort into the book. Thank you. Um, Sean Gleffie SG was our chief and we worked with a, a handful of folks that we trusted and, and we tried to get it right. I, I've always liked the word professional intimacy because the, the word intimacy causes tension among operators and that tension forces you to wrestle with it. And what does it mean, man? Man, I'm not talking about spooning. What I'm talking about is, is being professionally close and vulnerable with each other so we can read each other. And quite honestly, Trent, if you were my C, man, my, my senior enlisted that you'd tell me what I wanted to hear, but I needed to hear. And to do that, man, I got to have this professional intimate relationship with you. You know, really what you're, what the senior NCO and the young officer has to do is they have to clarify roles. They have to exchange expectations. They have to be open about it and, and, and they got to do that in private and they got to get it right. And fortunately, man, we've had, we've had our share of folks that have gotten it right. We've seen some not get it right where the, you know, the officer and the enlisted didn't, uh, didn't get along real well. It's catastrophic when it happens at the squadron level, but I've seen it where it's a beautiful thing at the 24th, my first time there. Um, Jeff Buckmelter was the squadron commander, JB, you know, plank holder, debt one, Makos, and uh, his chief, Tim Brown, TB. And uh, where the headquarters building was, it was, I don't know, less than a quarter mile away down the hill. But still, you had to you had to make an effort if you're going to go down to the team room. Right. And I tell you guys with 100 percent certainty that if I if I was in my office or I was in the bay or in the team room and the door opened up and, you know, Colonel Buckmelt or JB walked through, there's 100 percent certainty that TB was right behind him or vice versa. If TB came in, we said, hey, chief, what's going on? JB was right with them. And they, they just modeled that there's no daylight between the the, the, the the officer and the senior enlisted because, man, it takes both of them to kind of get the perspective right and, and, to, and to make the, the really, really difficult decisions as they work on it. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. Oh, that's great. And, and you obviously took that uh, into your civilian life after after retiring and stuff like that because you you created the Intrepid Leadership Group, um, which is uh, obviously on your on your shirt as well. So appreciate the advertisement. Oh, we'll have man. to plug the hell brand, out of that right? because yeah, I hear you. Because um, you guys is doing a lot of a lot of great things out there, not just for you know corporate and and, and still within the military. Because you guys are coming back. You, yeah. I mean, you've come back and and did pro dev for us uh, when I was at the twenty third. But you know, you're doing some amazing things with uh, doing kids camps as well. So please dive into Intrepid, yeah. if you will. Yeah, you bet. So I, I stood up Intrepid after being retired for a couple of years to just kind of go back and and teach an audience that maybe wanted to learn. I taught high school for a few years. It, it took me three years to figure out what you guys already knew about me, and that's I'm too intense for public education, right? So uh, yeah, teaching's always been on my heart and really just tried to create a, a market and a product where maybe I, I could be with a, a, an audience that was a little bit more uh, interested in learning. But the first two years, I've always talked about the relationship between officers and senior NCOs. I'm convinced God created senior, the God created senior enlisted for for officers and really to give us courage because, you know, there's times I didn't know what to do. And clearly I needed senior enlisted or enlisted to coach me and to guide me. But even later in life, like I knew exactly what what needed to be done, but I didn't know if I had the courage to do it. You wanted to be popular with the guys. You had to make a call that was hard. And uh, that relationship with the senior enlisted that had more reps than me, more experience than me, um, always gave me courage, you know? So in the curriculum that we have in Intrepid on leader development, I've always talked about that relationship, but it wasn't for a couple of years until I could get my hands on Charlie McCarney, Charlie Mike, you know, one of, one of my chiefs, and now Mike Atkins, another chief, just so that when we're on the road, instead of just talking about it, we can now model it, you know, and we talk about it. If I'm teaching 
Charlie Mike will be in the corner. He's kind of doing overwatch, like support by fire. One, he'll come in with a different dimension, a different perspective. But also, you know, at the end of the day, as we're syncing up, he's giving me, hey, like you, you lost this guy or you might have wounded this person with your comments or this one might have misread you a bit. And what he's doing is at the end of the day, we're, man, we're comparing how the day went and figuring out what the next day looks like. And it's just, man, it's, it's just wonderful to have uh, someone that you trust right by your side to do that. And it, quite honestly, in the corporate space, we teach them you got to look for that because corporate doesn't build it like that. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they, they don't, they don't build the two person team together. It's just a blessing that we have in the military for the reasons why, man, our stakes are, are higher. We don't have a profit and loss sheet, but you guys, your guys' margins are just, they're more important. It's national defense and it's, it's a, it's, it's airmen's lives, you know, soldiers' lives. So, um, so that's kind of, you know, what's what we're doing in that space. We do mission planning as well. We go back and teach, you know, the military decision-making process, but I'd like to tell you about our kids camp, you know, every summer we run a leadership camp for, uh, teenage, teenage boys, you know, ages 15 to 18. And, we uh we bring them in, we take them to the woods, we teach them small unit tactics. North American rescue representatives come out and teach T triple C, so you know, tactical, critical casualty care. Uh and really what we're we use and then we we issue them paintballs and we, we give them missions that they have to plan. They do uh map and compass work and really what it is, it is a platform and and to go have to do something as a team. It is about developing team leadership team followership and then confidence that's ultimately what it what, what the course is about but they have to go do something together and we found that paintball is a great stress inoculator and as i'm walking through along with colonel roland one of our gold star parents matthew roland's father uh you know him and i will walk together charlie mike a chief one of my our chiefs will be there and um if the if the guys are doing really well we've got either hand and arm signals or we got radio calls that allows the op four to turn it up and and, and challenge them more if they're struggling, then we can dial it down a little bit and teach them how to control their heart rate get, and, and dial back in. And it's just really neat early in the process when they get hit, man, the pain hurts. You know, it's it's not devastating. But when you're 15 years old and you catch a few, you know, paint to the neck, man, it gets your attention. And you see early in the week, they want to shy away from it. And then we remind them, man, you still got a mission because we don't they don't respond after they get hit. We just tell them, man, your tactics suck and you got to keep doing what you're doing. Right. So they'll come out, you know, by the end of the week, they're like, man, look how many times I got hit and I didn't flinch. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, you're not trying to get hit, guys. You know what I mean? But it becomes kind of a badge of honor that they can handle the stress and stay on task. And it's just fun to really watch them as they build up to the final rescue mission, which is a helicopter down in a shanty village up in Muscatatuck Urban Training Center. The Indiana Army National Guard sponsors us going up there. And uh, we give them some pretty sophisticated training events for just as young men to just kind of grow as a team and along the way colonel roland you know testifies on his son's behalf so we get the we do a fireside chat about our gold star program and we've had some some gold star uh family members come through and um we have a leadership reaction course we put them through we use gallup strengths finders to help them find out kind of what their top five strengths are and, and you know the world will tell them what they suck at where that we're there to tell them what they're really good at and to try to you know leverage those natural strengths and um, and we go through the course of the week. We get to work with core combat sports, Rolanda Haddad and, and his family here in Louisville, just to give them a couple blocks on combatives. Um, and it's important. It, like we use our, some of our military background to teach them service and to give them skills that we think will work no matter what they do. We're not trying to convince them to go in the military. We are trying to convince them to use their skills for good and to serve others. Um, some might think it is militant. It is not militant. It is military. And there's a big difference between the two, you know, just like the difference between harsh and hard. 
and I teach my leaders, you got to be hard on your airmen, but that's far different than being harsh. Harsh has a pettiness to it, you know, um, you know, uh, so yeah. it, at times we're hard on them as they go through, but it's all because we care about them, but we have a lot of fun. And um, anyway, we do those once, once a year. I wish we could do more, but it's easier to seize a small country than it is to run this camp. It fatigues us. Everybody that does it is a volunteer. Uh, the the tuition that we ask goes directly towards supplies, and you know we're not making any money off of it. I assure you that. And uh, and then we get to partner with some great organizations and some great people that believe in it. And besides, just a bunch of my old teammates that I know really well. You know, Wes Brooks comes out, Kerry Miller comes out. Oh, we got some younger dudes, Chuck Edwards, Matt Burnell. Um, you know, we try to get some younger controllers out there. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is I can teach my sons all day long about things, you know, men of character or even how to use a map and compass. But you get a controller out there with a sleeve tattoo and cooler sunglasses than me. And for whatever reason, now it must be right. So our theory is, yeah, we can teach our own sons, but they don't want to listen. So why don't we teach each other's sons? And we're lucky that, I don't know, about a third, you know, 25 percent of our the folks that come through have some relationship with us through the aspect or community. But real fortunate that the word gets out and other folks have come in as well. So, man, 2023 has been laid on. It's 18 to 23 June um, is, is when we're going. We got 18 slots. Uh, John Chapman's nephew uh, uh, is going to come this uh, this time. His namesake is also John. Um, so, uh, you know, we, uh, we we'll get a Derek. Derek Argel's son has been through. And then we what's neat about the camp is the last few years we've started inviting back graduates that i mean they all do a really good job but we'll invite back a handful of graduates every year to act as junior mentors so that besides now it's not just old dudes or you know we've got some guys that are closer to their age also participating and helping out as well so uh, it's pretty cool man the our our graduate just continue to grow and we keep tabs on all of them and you know we've got folks out there doing some really neat stuff so that's a little bit about our camp i appreciate you asking Oh, that's great. And, and I, I wanted to ask because I find it fascinating. And at the same time, like also thankful that you guys are doing that because, um, you know, for, for whether it's you guys or whether it's other folks that are doing these, um, these kind of kids camps, like I think it's really important for, you know, are just boys and girls in general to, to really, I think we're, I think we're going to be entering some very difficult times here pretty soon in the next, you know, 10 to 15 years, if not earlier, but, um, and I think it's important that we prepare the, the, the children and the young men and women for the road versus preparing the road for them. Um, you know, keeping them in a bubble. So definitely appreciate it. Going back to what we talked about as, as kind of a, a parting shot for you, um, and, and I mean, there's so many nuggets in this thing anyway that you, that you've said, but, what would be something, what kind of advice would you give to those um, men and women that are wanting to join Aspect War? Yeah, you bet, man. So, you know, so when, when Intrepid teaches, and Trent, you even asked us what was my why. Our tagline for Intrepid when we're in doing corporate training is why you. And, you know, I, I kind of added like, you know, man, like almost poking them in the chest. Like, why you? Like, and we used to say, why do you do what you do? And Mark Twain once said, if I had more time, I'd written a lot less. So we've distilled it down. That's like our guiding question. Why you? And first you got to get right with you. And then you got to get right with your teammates, you know, see yourself before you can see the enemy, see the terrain. But uh, so, yeah. So the question that I would have for the younger generation is why not you, man, if this is what you want, then go get you some, 
I've already talked a little bit here about, man, the world will tell you that you suck. Folks will tell you what you can't do, man. I want to see what you can do. And, and, uh, man, I want you to just go for it. And, and if you go for it and get it, it's going to be quite the ride. And, you know, decades from now, hopefully you'll have your opportunity to pass on some of your stories. But even if you come up a little short on this one, the fact that you had the guts to try means it's just going to enable other things for you. So, uh, man, I, I, I certainly, they don't want to hire me to teach them how to do a stroke in the water. That's for sure. Like, that's the last thing they need to do. But uh, I, I, I think they could look at our stories, you know, and realize that it doesn't come easy for hardly anybody. There's so few people that just glide through the pipeline, which is why it's important. You got to wrestle with your ego. Um, you know, there's times to keep it in check. And there's times when you say, man, screw this. And like, nothing is going to stop me. I don't care what they say. Um, and then make sure that they know they don't have to suffer in silence, that they, you know, no one fights alone, that they're good teammates the entire way through. And they love their person to the left and right, whether they like them, man, I could, I could give a crap, but they should love them because they've got the courage to go for it too. And, and I'll share with them that, um, while we've got our pipeline and, and all the things that we're trying to do, our adversary does too. Um, and, and, and they're really clever. The ones that have survived conflict with us, they survive because they're really, really good. And uh, they've got their own pipelines. They've got their own guest speakers, man. They probably got their own freaking podcast, you know. Um, and, and they're really good and they're, and they're waiting to come see us. I, I grabbed something here if you don't mind. Cause I know when I, when I'm out there with some of the units right now, they're like, man, we missed out on the war. I don't know if, the, if this will show up on the camera. But this right here, uh, when I was in Pakistan for a year, uh, the, 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 the Marriott there in the yep. Islamabad got blown up. And in fact, I was even on the, I was on a secure line with a good friend of mine, Mason Dooley, he's my ops officer back at the unit. And it was so loud that he heard it. And I'll tell you, it was like as a crow flies, it was five miles away, but the explosion was so powerful. I thought the embassy had just gotten hit. So I hung up with them and I grabbed my rifle. I was in a secure space and I went down to the, I, I thought they were coming through the gate. And the ambassador's residence is right there. It's late at night because even though the Department of State day is on Pakistan hours, of course, when I finished my, my work there in the embassy, then I transitioned to the work at night with the task force around that we're working with and, and the unit back home. So there wasn't a lot of presence. And when I came out there, man, there was the guard, a couple of Marines were starting to show up and I'm there and it, it was in our compound. That's how loud it was. Well, we have folks living in safe houses down in some of our uh, government partners that we work with. They all start checking in and we realize that the Marriott had been hit. Uh, my team and I were just there two days earlier. It, is, it was the only restaurant safe enough for us to go to. There was a Thai restaurant there that we go about every other week just for a, a team dinner because it's really the only place you can meet outside the embassy grounds that was safe enough. And obviously it wasn't even secure enough. And uh, that night after everybody checked in, we were still missing one one government partner. And, uh, and the ambassador, and we, we asked if we could go look for him at the hotel, and the ambassador allowed me and one other to go down there. And as we were crawling through the hotel to, the, to try to get to his room, and, uh, and, and we couldn't because his room was like the whole wing was on fire. But on my way out, I just saw this laying there, and I grabbed it. I, and now it's in an old disc. That shows my age back then. We actually still had floppy discs. But uh, I put it in there, and I just share it with you to just remind you the nature of some of the adversary out there that they just, that, 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 that they don't, they don't, they don't believe with what we stand up for. And there's folks out there that are afraid that they missed out. Unfortunately, they haven't. Um, I wish that we could just enjoy a longstanding peace. I know the pipe hitters out there want to go strap it on. Um, Scotty fails, you know, back at the 24th, always told us as a team sergeant, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. And we did. And it was probably more than we bargained for. Right. Yep. A lot of us know that. Um, some of you far more than me, of course, but, um, 
the ones that are out there that want, that are still going through training, the ones that are young in the units, man, just wait, man, keep your kit tight. Uh, you know, just always be ready to go because at some point they're going to try us again and, and the nation's not going to have any, any choice but to respond. And, and, and our teammates, you guys are the ones that are going to go get after it. So, man, why you in the corporate world? Why not you? You know, when you're younger, man, don't let anybody hold you back. If this is what, what you want, then go get you some and, um, listen to the podcast, you know, listen to your, your, your coaches, uh, your mentors, your teachers, and just prepare yourself mind, body, and spirit as best you can. And then go for it, man. And, and just don't quit in the moment. You know what I mean? Just don't quit in the moment. Cool. Yeah. Well, I can't follow that up, but, uh, definitely appreciate you okay. joining the podcast, sir. Um, I know, I know that you were telling me beforehand, like, you know, you weren't sure coming on. So hopefully, uh, this was, uh, beneficial for you because I know that and just like all the times before when you were my group commander and then before that and um, and even when you came out to give pro dev it, like it's always it's always a journey and I always learn something um, talking with you so I definitely appreciate you joining us and thanks for everything that you're doing for you the units when you go out there and teach and what you've done for us in the past so um, that's yeah. us out Pe- here we Pe- appreciate Pe- you joining thanks, us guys. Yeah. Everybody.